Welcome to Fresh Take, your favorite weekly podcast that delivers a healthy dose of information pertaining to healthy lifestyles, organic and sustainable agriculture, and numerous topics related to the environment. Thanks for tuning in. Our industry experts are here to provide you with a fresh take on topics that can help you optimize your lifestyle and well-being. Welcome to Fresh Take. On today's episode, we will be discussing what it takes to become certified organic. I'm your host, Jessica Stipe. I have my co-host, JC Rodriguez, with me, and today we have two very special guests. I have Dan Zaman and Adam Maxwell. Adam is an Assistant Crop Certification Manager with Quality Certification Services, and Dan is a, a Crop Certification Reviewer, so I welcome both of you today. Thanks for being here. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. All right. For our listeners, a lot of times on these episodes, we talk about what it takes to shop for organic foods, what it takes to read product labels, and then what really goes behind organic goods and products. So today we've brought Adam and Dan in to talk about the process that goes behind it. What goes behind your labels? What goes behind your food? And for a farmer that's thinking about becoming certified organic, what does the process entail? So we're going to have them explain all of that. But before we get started, why don't both of you take the time to tell our listeners a little bit about yourselves and how you got into this field and why you're so passionate about what you do. Okay. Dan, you want to go first? Sure. I'm Daniel Zaman. I'm a crop certification reviewer with QCS. I got into organic foods because I really enjoy food. That's really the short. I can relate to that. (laughs) All of it. Apples, oranges, cheese, milk. All of it, right? Bread. All the food groups. Yeah. So I, I enjoy food and I learned more about what goes into food and I got into cooking and I realized if you want to be a good cook, you have to Use the best ingredients, and then that led me to the path of seeing that organic ingredients tended to taste better, right. um, in my opinion, and looked better, and they're cleaner. And um, yeah, that led me to go to college. I graduated from the University of Florida with a horticultural science degree with a specialization in organic crops. Nice. Then I got this job. Right. So here you are. I, I worked in the uh, horticulture indus- industry and other aspects but uh this is my first time in a in an office i've been here for a little bit over a year and a half now and i'm enjoying it awesome well we're happy to have you adam why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about you i too went to the university of florida but after yeah go gators after graduating i went into parks department and and actually in new york city and i uh, started off doing forest restoration projects And that led to about 10 years of doing forest wetland restoration, recreating the natural habitat there in New York City and and down in Florida, uh, South Florida specifically, Uh for about 10 years. And when I moved back to Gainesville like 10, 12 years ago, I switched over from the forest to working for a botanical garden. And I spent almost another eight years. And... um, and doing all things botanical garden, which was propagating plants and maintaining the gardens and, you know, helping with uh, garden events and volunteers and all that sort of thing. And the one thing that's been common in my background is, is plants, even from being a, a kid, I, I, I love plants. And I also, in my experience of doing restoration work and, um, and working in horticulture, maintaining the land, one of the things that I always 
did not prefer and was a real question mark for what I did was the use of herbicides and thing in chemicals that were potentially dangerous to me and the, the ecosystem. Right. And forest restoration, not to get off totally from farming, but the forest restoration projects uh, are heavily reliant on on a lot of stuff. On those uh, inputs, the, right? Yeah. So that was that was something that, that I never really liked doing. And back to the plants, I, I've always had a passion for that. And nice. this uh, organics really fit into the my idea of how plants and everything should be grown. And I was fortunate to get a job here a few years ago. I, I actually did, I volunteered years ago, probably 12 years ago. The fir- my first experience with fog was building gift gardens uh, nice, in the yeah. community. Yeah, we there was a program here that we would go around and build uh, raised bed gardens yep. for um, low income or a- anybody in the community that, that wanted to learn uh, to be able to grow their own food at home. And uh, it was a really cool project. And uh, I was happy to participate in the limited right. space Right, and a lot of those did, gardens are still thriving. I still see some. Yeah, they're when still I, thriving. Ones that, that I helped build, like, yeah. uh, you know, was the, uh, town. If I'm not mistaken, that was the gift gardens the gift project, yes, the right? Gift garden the Gainesville project. Initiative mm-hmm. for Tasty Gardens. Yeah. Right. Um, and Fog is going to be getting into more of that very soon. So. Yeah, it was a cool program. I won't, I won't shed too much light on what we're going to do because yeah. we don't, we don't want to get into that, but just know that more of that's coming. So maybe you'll have so, another opportunity to jump in and, and get involved. Yeah. It'd be great. So cool. how was the transition? So you went from botanical gardens into, into this. Was that I mean with transition um, wise? Well, transition wise, I think the biggest change for me is that I'd spent the last like 18 years in the field. Right. So being in an office almost entirely uh, all day was probably the biggest challenge for me. Both of you um, have had to go yeah. through that. Both of you, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Both of you have gone from like being out in the field to yeah. an office setting. So, but you yeah. know what's interesting about that? Because I can relate to both Adam and Dan in terms of you know now working in the um, certification world, right. if you will, and having done either you know work at farms or you know going to University of Florida doing research, and having that background mm-hmm. in agriculture really helps once you come in into sort of you know understanding what the natural organic standards are all about and making sure that those people in which we're going to get into when they're interested in entering that market and labeling their products as certified organic you want to have people like you know dan and adam with their backgrounds understand if they're going to be reviewing organic plans and they're going to be making sure that the farmers and the companies that are labeling their products as organic are compliant with the regulations, you want to have somebody who understands how to grow crops. Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. and I think that's extremely important for our listeners, be it farmers or consumers. If you're buying bananas from Ecuador or uh, the Dominican Republic, or you're buying apples from you know um, the state of Washington, or whatever it is, the people who are making sure that product is organic, that they can call it organic, understands what's behind that. Uh, and so I, I think that's extremely important. What you're saying is important on the uh, regulation side because you have some ideas to what the regulations actually mean and in use. And also it's helpful to have field experience and background uh, when you're connecting with our our farmers because they respect that, you know, and they want to know that you have an idea as to what is going on uh, in the field and um, it's it's connecting and it's also something that I really enjoy talking to farmers about is um, you know they're 
their day to day. And does that happen? Uh, both of you guys, do you get the chance to talk to sometimes, uh, farmers? Yeah, sometimes when they, they call the office. Well, sometimes people ask, you know, how you got into this or what your background is. If they're, if maybe they're checking your they want to check your check credentials. Yeah. Right. They're checking well, yeah. your credentials. Sure. Yeah. So how, how did you get into this? What do you know about it? So yeah. it's fun to be on both sides of the coin because uh, farming is definitely complicated and has a lot of nuances and being able to be on the ground level and see what a farm looks like. And then being in this office, seeing what farms look like on paper is there are definitely two different things two different worlds, and right? to, yeah. to kind of relate them both and be able to answer questions and, you know, kind of, kind of help guide farmers on the right track to being organic is, uh, it's fun. Can you, can you do that? Can you, we uh, can't consult. No, we can't, we can't consult. That's against the regulation. Wait, and what do you mean when you say consult? What, what exactly would be considered consulting? Uh, if somebody called the office and you happen to take that call from that farmer or that yeah. company who is interested in certifying organic and says, I don't know what to do, but I was hoping that you guys can, you know, advise me. Right. Yeah. What is it that you yeah. wouldn't be able to do? So say a farmer calls us and they, they're like, I, I have an aphid problem. Uh, what do I spray? And aphids are uh, just sort of a common just pest. Part, they're yeah, they're a com- yeah. common pest uh, that affects a lot, of, a lot of the crops we eat, from tomato to basil. Especially here in Florida, you, you can definitely have a problem with aphids. And if someone asks us, hey, I have aphids, what do I, what do I spray? We can't tell them, here's X, Y, and Z product. Right. Uh, go, go out and buy it and use it. We more or less help them understand what is and what isn't allowed to be used, and it's up to them to choose the product or uh, cultivation method to, to kind of battle the infestation. So it would be okay for them to then say, hey, Dan, so, you know, this is what I'm going to be doing. And if the question is, is it compliant? And you would be able to say, yeah, that, that complies with the regulation. It, you know, I'm going to try these different methods um, and maybe try this particular product, pest control product that I found. You could tell them, you guys could tell them if that's allowed or not. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we can do. That it's. I'm glad that that came up because we do get sometimes clients that think that the certifier should be able to direct them on what to use and think, well, if you can't tell me who, who could, and it's hard to say, uh, well, we can't just tell you what to use as a product goes, but if you give us a product that you'd like to try out, we can tell if it's approved or yeah, not. Yeah. And right. we can give them resources. So if, you know, one of the big MR, one of the material reviewing operations has a list like Omri or WSDA or PCO, we can direct them to their websites and say, hey, this is a good resource for you to look up, you know, information on, on something. And, and Omri for our listeners and the ones that you mentioned, WSDA and PCO, these are agencies that are outside of the they're, uh, USDA, they are, right? They're, they're third-party the op, uh, yeah, operations. Uh, the Organic Material Review Institute and uh, is OMRI, and they're the largest of the probably the three, uh, in my opinion, because I see I think they have they approve more products. But but all three are ones that uh, we accept mostly, with probably a few exceptions to that. But it's they're a really good resource for people to go to prior to asking their certifier if they could use a product. So if somebody who listening is interested in becoming a certified organic farmer or maybe somebody who has a, you know, backyard, you were talking about raised beds mm-hmm. and, and gardens and, and they want to do it organically. So if they went out to one of the places where you find products that they can use, be it soil, fertilizers, and 
maybe because pest control products. If they see Omri on the product label, then that means that it's okay for them to use it because that's compliant with the standards um, for the most part. For the most part, that's true. Yes. There, there are some nuances to that to that label, and that being that the scope for what is it's approved for mm-hmm. could vary. So, if you are looking for a potting soil and you see the Omri sticker, it's pretty easy to assume if you're a backyard, uh, you know, a hobbyist or whatever that, that you can use that it would be considered organic yeah. for use in crop production. Uh, if you were using a pesticide or herbicide or a cleaner or something, a sanitizer that was had the Omri sticker on it, um, that might not be allowed for use in crop production, but it might, it might be something that is facility related or so it, it might cover a different scope. So Correct. as if you're a certified operation and you're questioning whether or not you could use it, it's best to always check. If you're a you know a, a backyard farmer and, and just looking to see if you could grow organically, it's probably a safe assumption that what you're doing is is on the up and up. And that's but, exactly why I think it's it's so important to have these conversations because as we're discussing right now, and we even haven't really started discussing what it takes to have that to be certified organic, to be certified right? organic but this is the kind of things that um you know, know. people well but that dan and adam do every day right they're reviewing the materials that farmers are going to use to grow their crops they approve them and that's not only the only thing that they do when it comes to we're just talking about inputs right just now inputs. just inputs yeah. <laughs> there's much 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 more where does it all begin uh really well if you're a grower, it begins by applying to a certifying body like such as our own QCS or how many certified bodies in the country? Any idea? Uh, on the top of my head, I do not know, but it's definitely in the hundreds. I would and guess. And so you mentioned, you know, QCS. Someone in Florida is interested in it, you know becoming certified. What is the number one thing that they're going to first have to comply with, or or the, in order to be eligible? Yeah, the land use eligibility is the first thing. And Dan was saying, you know, the the application process is a start, but uh, and that's true for getting certified. But as far as the the transition or getting certified, it really starts with what you're asking the the land use eligibility. Um, you have to have a, a three year clear land affirmation that says no prohibited substances have been applied. So if they, let's say that someone had been using on this property that they, you know, interested in certifying organic to grow organic crops, they've been using herbicides, for instance, is that, would that be allowed? Would that be something that you guys would be um, asking about? What what types of herbicides? Are there any herbicides that are allowed? We would be asking what types, you know, if it was something that would uh, be approved in an organic system plan, then it's not a problem. You know, that, that could be something like using vinegar Correct. for weed control or yeah. something right. like that. But if it's something that would fall under that category of being prohibited, uh, you know, a synthetic herbicide, there's a list of allowed synthetics in the regs uh-huh. that you can refer to if somebody's looking for specifics on what those are. Um, there's also a short list of natural products that are not allowed right. in organic. I mean, um, arsenic is a natural <laughs> right. product. You don't want that. Do you don't, but you don't want, yeah, want that, right. That's right. So, right. so yeah, that's all covered in the uh, in 205 uh, in, in the regs that we use to certify. So and I think it all begins with the regulations, which are called the Natural Organic Standards. These were created back in the early 90s 
before it really, that's where it all started. The organic movement has been around for much, much, much longer, as we know, but it wasn't until the USDA realized that there was a need to have a set of standards. So people, farmers, and consumers who lived in Florida would comply with the same regulation as those that were living in California and all around the country. So the standards came in, they were being written by scientists, by farmers, by many, many, many people. And there were opportunities to have conversations about this would be allowed, this would be prohibited. In your example, arsenic, which is a natural toxic, toxic, (laughs) but they're highly toxic. Then it says, no, you cannot use that. And so that's what happened. And so, you know, people like you guys who work with a certification agency make sure that farmers understand that. And then when they provide all that information, then yeah. you, you can verify that they're compliant with the regulations. Yeah, and when um, clients, potential clients call Dan or I, oftentimes they'll ask, you know, what, what are the steps and can they get, how, how do they do it? And like what Dan was saying, the application is pretty straightforward. And, and oftentimes we'll just send them that and say, look at this first and, and see if you if you think that you would meet this criteria mm-hmm. prior to sending in your application. Because if you don't, then there's you might need to wait a year or two or, or uh, three. But if you do, then we'd be happy to review it and and take a look at it. But we don't want to waste anybody's time or, or money on on certification if they don't meet it. So the application process, which is on you know on, on our website, is is really handy for people who are, who are seeking that because sure. if you. That application spells out a lot of the questions. It's almost like so a, a, it's a guide mm-hmm. in, in many ways. Because yeah. in not every single section of that application or plan applies to every farmer. Right. There are sections there about you know things that are being grown in a greenhouse, but the farmer may not have a greenhouse, for instance. And so, but there's there's a lot of things that obviously are. Uh, very important for them to be aware of and that they will have to comply. We're talking so much about the farmers and this whole process. And I think it's important to note and to point out to our consumers what a process this truly is. You know, a lot of people say, why organic or why it's better or why it's healthier? Or, is it truly organic? Or, you know, can I trust the label or whatever the case may be? But there's a lot of work that goes into it from the farmer standpoint. There's also a lot of work on this side of it. People don't really get to understand the behind the scenes and who's doing this and who is checking to make sure that the land is truly meeting the regulations and who's making sure that, hey, the farmer's not using this product. And that's where Dan's and the Adams of the world come into play to make sure. You guys both really had a passion for it that, that led you here and that made you say, you know what, I want to support this movement. I want to support organic products. I want to be a part of this. But for the consumers, they need to understand that this is a, there's a lot of work. And there's a cost for that. So when these operations are paying for the right to label their products, that's part of their production costs. Well, and with QCS, I think that we really try to make it affordable for all sizes and levels of production. And there is a cost to it. And it's not just financial. The The cost is the incredible level of scrutiny that goes into your operation. I don't think people, I did not realize when I got into certification, how much detail that is put into the process. Um, and it's not easy for people who spend their days out in the field to be able to Uh, keep up all the requirements to do. So people who are certified organic, they go through a lot, uh, not, you know, beyond the the field. 
to make sure that they are in compliance. And so the cost for, for an organic farmer is beyond um, just the, the financial or filling out the application. They have to keep records uh, every single day of production and every invoice and all the things because really the only way to show compliance at the end of the day is that you have record of what you're doing. And of course, the one day a year that we get the somebody out there as uh, on-farm inspection. So the level of scrutiny that the, the operations uh, go through is a, a huge deal. And, and so when, like Dan was saying, when you see the USDA logo on there, um, you should have some comfort in knowing that it, everything from, from the seed to the marketplace has been uh, looked at and, and traced back. It all begins with that organic plan that the uh, farmer sends to the certifier. And then it gets reviewed by someone like, you know, either of you. And that's the organic system plan. The organic system plan, correct. Where they will list all their practices and the crops that are going to be growing and making sure that any crop that they say is going to be part of, you know, that system plan is disclosed. And all of the inputs that we have been talking about and everything. So they basically let you know everything that they're doing when it comes to that organic farm. You review it, you make sure that it's compliant. And Adam was just saying, then there's an inspection. So every year, that farmer gets inspected. Right. Farmers doesn't, don't always just get inspected once. Correct me if I'm wrong, because the, the, the USDA actually says that you all can do unannounced inspections. And Yeah, uh, we, we can and we do. It's probably best to do it that way, because when you have a forewarning that somebody's coming, you're going to have all your ducks in a row. But if you don't know they're coming, that's when you're really going to find out what's what's yeah. going on behind the scenes. There's a, there's a, a, a percentage of uh, un, unannounced inspections that are random throughout the year, and then there's a percentage that are uh, calculated uh, based on a risk assessment. If there was a problem with an operation, maybe the previous year or something like that. But uh, yeah, so it, it, it's not necessarily a once a year deal. A lot of what certifiers in, in the USDA National Organic Program, for that matter, is trying to do with these unannounced inspections and inspections and all of the record keeping is to prevent fraud. Right. That's basically the, the bottom line. And for consumers who are buying organic and they're paying you know premium price for it, these guys are the ones who are making sure that when they buy organic, they that it's certified, that it's certified organic, and that it means something Not that it's compliant. Label, right. So one of the priorities of the USDA National Organic Program is to, you know, anyone who labels their product organic is compliant with the regulation. If someone is not, they're going to come after them. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for tuning in to part one of organic certification with Adam Maxwell and Dan Zayman. Please tune in next week as we have part two of this episode. Thanks for listening. Thank you guys for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. As many of you already know, FOG is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization, which means we need your help to keep all of our content free to the public. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation today. We would really appreciate your support. 